And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad to have you. And here we teach through God's Word verse by verse, and we've been going through the Gospels for well over a year now. And last week we were in the Gospel of Mark, and we finished up chapter 4 and started chapter 5. And if you remember back to last week, we studied the Scripture where Jesus, He had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and while they were traveling to the other side, they encountered a storm. And the disciples, they were very fearful, they were very worried about this storm, they thought they were going to die. They woke Jesus up. Jesus was sleeping in the boat. He was calm and relaxed. The disciples were very fearful. And Jesus, he gets up, he rebuked the storm, calmed the waves. And then he questioned the disciples for their lack of faith. And then crossing over to the other side, they encountered a demon-possessed man. But this wasn't just any demon-possessed man. He was possessed with legions of angels, at least 2,000 of them. And Jesus, he, he... conquered these demonic forces, cast these demons out, and the people were filled with wonder in the land, but they were they were afraid and they asked Jesus to leave. And so last week, the, the message was, why are you fearful? What is it in your life that is causing you to fear? That fear that Satan is using as a wedge to come between your faith and your walk with Jesus. What is it in your life that is separating you from trusting Jesus and taking your eyes off of Him? And I pray that The Lord has revealed these fears in your heart, and I pray that you've turned away from them. Our God is so much bigger than anything in this life, and we have no reason to be afraid knowing who our God is. So we're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. And today we're going to look at four stories. Four stories, but in each story, it's the same message. We're going to see people who are in different places, in different situations, all coming before Jesus. And so the question I want you to think on as we go into these verses is, are you coming to Jesus daily? Are you coming before Him and laying your heart before Him, laying your fears, your worries, your desires, your joys, are you coming to Jesus? Or is there something in your life that is keeping you from coming to Jesus? So just think on that as we study these verses. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Let's go ahead and read that verse together. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. So if you remember, Jesus has been just so busy in the past day of his ministry. He was in the temple, he was casting out demons, he was teaching the people, the religious leaders started questioning him. Jesus got falsely accused by the religious leaders. Then Jesus left the the synagogue area, and he was on the shore where thousands of people came to him and Jesus taught them for a big majority of the day. Then straight after that, he went to cross the Sea of Galilee, encountered the storm, got to the other side, encountered the demon-possessed man. And the people in the land of the Gadarenes, where this demon-possessed man was, the people were very afraid, seeing this great display of power by Jesus, that they asked him to leave. They said, we don't, we don't know what's going on, you just please leave. So Jesus, he did. He got back into the boat and he crossed back over to the other side and we could speculate he went back to Capernaum. And as soon as Jesus gets off the boat, look what it says in verse 21. Great multitude gathered to him as he was by the sea. So Jesus just gets right out of the boat. And what happens? This great multitude comes to Jesus again. And remember, this multitude, it refers to thousands of people coming to hear Jesus. Jesus, he didn't get a break, did he? He just kept going and going and more opportunities to share and more people kept coming to him. Jesus didn't really have free time. 
And it's, this is how ministry is many times. And it's often said that ministry is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And that's true. It never stops. It keeps on going. It's not something that we do part-time. It's not something we retire from. It's something that we are constantly in as we are Christians and as we serve Jesus. Ministry doesn't end. But we have to follow the example of Jesus because as he continued within ministry, he was never worn out or burnt out. And Jesus, he set examples for us as we minister. One, as Jesus was crossing over to the other side, he was resting. He was taking time to rest. He was resting physically. He was resting spiritually. He was often in prayer. He was in fellowship with the Father. Jesus was able to continue in the madness of the work of ministry because he was taking time aside to rest. And this is a great example for each one of us to follow as we serve God. It's very easy to get burnout in ministry. Because we're always going to encounter people who need Jesus. We're always going to encounter people that we are called to minister to. So are you resting? Are you resting spiritually? As we liken ministry to a marathon, so if we were running a physical marathon, and yet we didn't eat food, we didn't drink water, we didn't sleep, we wouldn't be very effective on that run, would we? We would collapse. Not very far in. If we don't take care of ourselves, we won't be effective. And in the same sense, we need to be taking care of ourselves spiritually. Being in the Word often. Being in prayer. Coming before Jesus and before His throne each day. And I I believe it's very important, especially in the morning, before you do anything else in your day, to start it at the feet of Jesus, because you don't know what you're going to encounter in the day. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what temptations you're going to be faced with. For the disciples, I'm sure they didn't get into the boat with Jesus and expect to see a demon-possessed man on the other side. I'm sure the disciples didn't expect to be swarmed by thousands of people when they got to the other side. This is why it's so important that we're resting spiritually. Because if we don't rest, we'll get tired of the work. And there's a difference between getting tired within the work and being tired of the work. We don't want to be tired of the work that God has called us to because it's a privilege to serve God. And God doesn't need us. we got to remember that. It's a privilege to serve Him. We all get tired within it, but we don't want to get tired of it. So are you resting? Are you taking that time spiritually? Or are you burning yourself out? Remember, you can't give what you don't have. And if we're not coming before Jesus, we surely can't point people to Jesus. Let's look at verses 22 through 24. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So as Jesus gets out, this great multitude of people, probably thousands, surround Jesus. But within this crowd comes a ruler of the synagogue. Now, when it says a ruler, it refers to a religious leader. This was a religious leader, a a highly well-regarded religious leader of the synagogue. And a ruler of the synagogue, their duty was to assign readers each week for the synagogue. They were to examine what was said by the speakers and make sure nothing false was being presented. They wanted to make sure everything was done decently, was done in order. This was the the job of a ruler of the synagogue. And also, don't confuse the synagogue with the temple. The temple was the central place of worship for the Jewish people, but it was in Jerusalem. So the Jews built synagogues throughout other regions. So if Jews did not live in Jerusalem, they would have a place to come and worship and hear the word of God. 
So this area is around Capernaum, and this is where Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, we see this man come to Jesus, and he has quite a difficult situation that he's encountering in his life. He comes before Jesus, and he says, my daughter is dying. This is not an easy situation for this man to be in. It's a very difficult situation. And with this said, I ask the question, what is it that you're walking through today? What situation or difficulty are you walking through today? For Jairus, it was his daughter is dying. For, for some of us, it might be something different. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you're struggling in sin. Maybe you're struggling with relationships. Maybe you're struggling with unbelieving neighbors or friends. What is it that you're walking through today? What hardship or trial? See, we can learn a great example from this man, Jairus. We don't know much about him, but we know this. When he had this difficult situation, where did he go? He went to Jesus. He came before Jesus. And he laid this down before Jesus. Verse 23, it tells us that he begged earnestly. So imagine this man, this great ruler, this highly regarded man with a good reputation. He comes before Jesus, falls on his hands and knees and begs Jesus to come to heal his daughter. This man, though he was a ruler, he came to the end of himself. He came and fell down at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? What a beautiful example. What a beautiful example of a man who laid down his pride, his ego, to come and lay down and bow down before the feet of Jesus with his heart. Does that sound like you? And does that sound like your heart for Jesus each and every day? Are you coming to the feet of Jesus, laying your fears and your worries down before him? Coming before him with all of your heart, understanding that he is all that you have and all that you need. Does this sound like you? Luke, the Gospel of Luke, gives us uh, the same account, but a little different details. In Luke chapter 8, verse 42, it tells us a little more. And it says in that verse that he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So we glean from Luke's Gospel that this man's daughter, it was his only daughter, and she was very young, only 12 years old. Again, what a difficult situation. But you know what? This man came before Jesus, and he had faith that Jesus was able to do the impossible for his daughter, and bring her back to full health. See, I'm sure Jairus, he heard about what Jesus had been doing. He heard the wonders Jesus had done. He heard about the miracles that Jesus had done. And he said, I know if I go to Jesus, I know if I go to him, my daughter will be made well. He had faith. Does this sound like you? Because there's a lot of Christians today who don't have faith. And many times we read scripture and we we read about these amazing stories and somehow we become desensitized to it. And we think, the Jesus I serve, he's not the same Jesus of the Bible. We read about Jesus doing all these amazing things, but today we get so lost and desensitized to who Jesus is. And we think that somehow he's changed and that he's not working in the ways that he worked in Scripture. But the truth is, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus we read of in Scripture is the same Jesus that we serve. Therefore, our faith in him should be greater than anything. And as Jairus came, he heard what Jesus was able to do. He came with faith. Are you coming before Jesus with faith, believing that Jesus is able to do anything, coming before him with a childlike faith? Verse 24 tells us that Jesus, he went with him. But as he went, a great multitude followed him and thronged him. The word thronged here, it means to press in at all sides. Basically, Jesus was almost being trampled by these people. That's how great this multitude was. And this was how hard they were pushing in and pressing into Jesus. 
And I'm sure as Jesus was hard-pressed by these crowds, it slowed down Jesus considerably. I'm sure Jesus, he couldn't get to Jairus' house as, as soon and as fast as Jairus would have wished. Jesus was now slowed down because the multitudes were holding him back and it was hard to walk through them. And now Jairus, he had to wait longer than he wanted to for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And I wonder if we're in the same situation today. Maybe we're waiting on the Lord, waiting for Jesus to act and waiting for Jesus to do his wonders, but we have to wait on him. And and as humans, we're we're very impatient and we want to see what, what we want God to work for us on our timetable. We want Jesus to do what we want exactly when we want it and we don't like to wait. And I'm sure Jairus, he didn't want to wait. Who would want to wait when their daughter is dying? But now Jesus' pace is slowed down. I'm sure Jairus is, is running, maybe even ready to push people aside just to get back to his home. Maybe even sprinting back. And Jesus, he's getting, he's getting held back. Jairus, he had to wait a little longer. And many times it's the same for us. It's not that Jesus gets slowed down, but sometimes we need to wait. Because God's timetable is not our timetable. God works according to His perfect way and according to His perfect will. And Scripture tells us that God's ways and God's thoughts are so much higher than ours. And we don't always understand it and it's not always easy. But we're told over and over again, we need to wait. Wait on the Lord. And in the meantime, while we wait, God is still working within our lives. He's still doing amazing things. See, Jesus was going to continue to work even while Jairus was waiting for Jesus. So let's see what happens next in verses 25 through 26. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So now we're introduced to our second story. As Jesus is walking, he's on his way to Jairus' house, but he's slowed down now because the crowds are pressing in on him. This woman is also in the crowd and she comes uh, to Jesus because she's got a lot going on in her life. Little different situation than Jairus was in. For this woman, she had a flow of blood. For 12 years, she'd been suffering. And we're told in verse 26 that this woman suffered many things from physicians, meaning that she went to these people to find healing. She spent all of her money, all her livelihood to find a cure and a remedy for this sickness. And she never found it. And as a matter of fact, she actually grew worse in her condition. So now this woman was, was worse off than ever with her health, and now she had no money and no livelihood. This woman was in a very difficult spot. And all these people that she went to, they couldn't help her, they couldn't heal her. And we see this woman, she went to everywhere and everyone else before she went to God. And this is very common today, isn't it? Many times we go and we seek the resources of man and we seek man's help instead of first going to the Lord in prayer and first taking things to God and trusting Him. And that's not to say we can't go to doctors. But is Jesus the first one that you go to? Is your trust in Him first and foremost? Is your hope in Him? Are you seeking Him first? Taking everything to God in prayer. I know for me personally, I tend to take any worries or fears in my life And instead of just first taking these to the Lord in prayer, I like to exalt them in my life. And I start to stress about them. And I start to focus on these fears and these worries instead of first coming before Jesus to find the peace that he brings. And many times we do this. And this is why many Christians, they they fall away from their faith. Many ministries, they fail. Why? Because they're going to seek help from man instead of taking their ministries and their callings to Jesus. 
Are you going to the Lord in prayer? Are you seeking Him first? And this is why the Bible is so clear that we pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6-7 through seven says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So think about what situation you're in today. For this woman, she was sick, had this terrible health condition. For Jairus, his daughter was dying. I'm sure neither of them had peace. What about what you're walking through today? Are you walking through the situations and the difficulties of your life with peace? Do you have peace? Are you taking these things to the Lord in prayer? The Bible is so clear, and prayer, unfortunately, gets put on the back burner many times in churches and in the Christian's personal life. Prayer is how we communicate with God. It's us bringing our hearts before Him. It's how we communicate with Him. And in any relationship that's healthy, there's always communication. And there's many Christians with an unhealthy relationship with Christ because they're not going to Him in prayer. And Jesus said His church should be known as a house of prayer for all nations. So how is your prayer life? Are you taking everything to God first in prayer? Or are you seeking the resources of man and are you seeking the help of man and trying to find every other remedy apart from Christ? And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you have a condition just like this woman, except it's a little different condition. The condition you have is an emptiness in your heart called sin. And you've been going to fill this emptiness with every way of the world that you could. Trying to fill it with materialistic things. Trying to fill it with relationships. Trying to fill it with jobs and success or money, but you keep coming up empty. Maybe you have a similar condition in your heart. Yet only one thing and only one person was going to help this woman. It was Jesus. Everything else failed. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's only one way to fill the emptiness in your heart. Jesus. Let's look at verses 27 through 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So we're told this woman, she went to Jesus. But why did she go to Jesus? How did she go to Jesus? How did she know about Jesus? It tells us in verse 27, she heard about Jesus. People were sharing about what Jesus was doing. People were sharing the great things Jesus had done. See, this woman, she came to Jesus because people told her about him. And there's many people in this city just like this woman. They're suffering from an incurable disease called sin. These people are searching. They're seeking to be filled. They're seeking forgiveness. They're seeking hope and joy. But no one is telling them about the answer. It's Jesus. See, this woman came to Jesus because people told her about him. Are we going out and telling people about Jesus? See, for this woman, the longer she waited and the longer she was trying to, to find a cure, it says her condition grew worse. And it's the same way for many people in this city and in this world. Each day goes by without Jesus, their condition grows worse. That puts them one day closer to an eternity without Jesus. Are we going out and are we telling people about the love and hope of Jesus? Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And you may read this verse and say, well, I'm not a preacher. Evangelism is not my gift. It's not my spiritual gift. I, I, I come with love to encourage and challenge you that you're incorrect. You are called to go out and share Jesus. Each one of us. If you are a Christian, you are called to share Jesus. 
Each one of us. We bear the name of Christ to go out and share His love and His hope. This isn't reserved for a select amount of people. This is a calling for each one of us. The commission that Jesus gave to preach the gospel is for each one of us. So are you going out and are you sharing Jesus? And I promise you this, people are starving and they're searching. They're searching for truth, searching for hope, and they're coming to the end of themselves just like this woman did. There was nowhere else for this woman to go. There's nowhere else for people without Jesus to go. They need Him. They need to hear about the hope of Jesus. But back to our story. This woman finds Jesus, and I love what she says in verse 28. She said, If only I may touch His clothes, I shall be made well. She had a faith in Jesus that said, I don't even need to talk to Him. I don't even need Him to touch me. If I just touch His clothes, I know I'll be made well. That's amazing faith, isn't it? This woman was at the end of herself. She knew she had nothing else. She had nothing left. She knew at this point Jesus was all that she had and Jesus was the only hope for her. And many times this happens when we're at the end of ourself, our faith is strengthened because it brings us to a place where we realize that Jesus, He's all that we need. Corey Ten Boom, I, I love her story, but she said this. She said, you never know Jesus is all you need until He's all you have. And for this woman, this is where she was at. She realized, I need Jesus because I don't have anything else. I don't have any other way. I need to go to Jesus. And for each one of us, this should be our heart. A heart that says, I need Jesus. I know I have nothing without Him. I know that I need Him more than anything and more than anyone. Does this describe your heart today? A heart that says, Jesus, I need you. Because if we're to be effective in the ministry that God has called us to, we need to have this heart that says, I need Jesus. See, it's very easy in ministry to become arrogant and to go out in our pride and to say, yes, I can do this. Look how many people I saved. You didn't save anyone. Jesus saved them. He used you, but he doesn't need to use you. We need Jesus. And that would be an important message for each one of us. We need Jesus, but he doesn't need us. He wants us. Praise God. Hallelujah. But he doesn't need us. He's independent, but we need him. And again, we can't give what we don't have. So are we coming before Jesus each and every day? And I believe someone in here needs to hear this, that Jesus is all that you need. And maybe you've been searching after many other things in your walk with Christ and you're uncontent and you just need to be reminded Jesus is all that you need. Let's look at verse 29. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So this woman, she came, she touched Jesus' garment, and immediately this flow of blood was dried up and her afflictions were gone. The word immediately, it means at that very instant, at that very moment, it was all gone. This disease was no match for the power of Christ. And this verse really shows us two things. Number one, Jesus could do what no man could ever do for this woman. Jesus could do what no medicine could do for this woman. Jesus could do what no resources of the world could do for this woman. Number two, it shows us that Jesus is greater than any sickness, any trial, or any hardship. And in the same sense as this woman touched Jesus and her afflictions were gone, when we first gave our lives to the Lord, our hearts were filled. It was filled with peace. It was filled with joy. When I go out and I encounter someone who doesn't know Jesus, they're just in awe of the fact that I have peace and hope. I have joy. They're like, how do you have joy? Because I'm forgiven of my sins. I know when I die, I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be in God's presence forever. 
But I think we would do well to remember that Jesus can do what no other man could do and what no resources could do. And too many times we depend on our own resources, especially in ministry. We depend on what we're capable of doing. We depend on what other people are able to do. We depend on people's resources and what they're offering us instead of just depending on Jesus. We have so many ideas to reach the lost, but first and foremost, our hearts should just come before Jesus. And a desire should be in our hearts to bring this, the word of God to the people of this city. Let's look at verses 30 through 31. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? <laughs> I love the disciples. Just once again, the disciples are very relatable. I'm sure the disciples were tired. I'm sure they weren't even thinking straight. I'm sure they had no sleep. I mean, who would sleep? When, when you thought your, your life was going to end in a, in a crazy storm, and then you encounter a man who's naked running out of a tomb with legions of demons in him. It's pretty unsettling. I, I don't think I would be sleeping either. So these disciples probably had no rest. They were probably worn out and burnt, burnt out. And they just say to Jesus, they're like, are you really asking? Who t- There's thousands of people touching you, Jesus. Right? They just weren't focused on what, what was going on. They were too blinded. By the busyness. And boy, doesn't this happen to us? We get so blinded by the busyness and the chaos of life that we just lose sight of what's going on right in front of us, what Jesus is trying to do. And I love verse 30 because Jesus, he's omniscient, right? Or in other words, he he knows all things. He knew that this woman had this affliction. He knew this woman would come to him. He knew that she would touch his clothes and he knew that he would heal her. So why does he ask, who touched me, if Jesus knew? And I believe Jesus, he wanted this woman to know the importance of coming to him. She wanted this woman to to know that you don't need to be afraid to come to me. I want you to come to me. And this is the God that we serve, a God who says, I want you. I love to hear from you. Right? God, God doesn't just sit in heaven as a dictator when we come to him, paying our penance. No, he loves when we come before him. He loves when we lay our hearts before him. He loves when we pray. He loves when we read his word and he speaks to us. And I'm sure Jesus, he wanted this woman to know, it's okay to come before me. I want you to come before me. Let's look at verses 32 through 34. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So Jesus, he turns around, he sees this woman. And we're told in verse 33 that this woman was exceedingly afraid and trembling. Why? Well, according to the Mosaic law, there was a lot of ramifications for what this woman did. Number one, having this flow of blood, she was ceremonially unclean. She wasn't allowed to be around this many people. And if she touched anyone, they also would be unclean. So according to the law and according to culture, this woman shouldn't have been in that crowd. And she certainly shouldn't have touched someone. And she certainly should not have touched someone who is regarded as a teacher. So there's a lot of ramifications for this woman. And I'm sure this woman, when she saw Jesus, she thought, I'm going to have to pay a price for this. There's going to be a consequence or punishment that I'm going to have to face. And in verse 33, it says this woman, she came before Jesus and told him the whole truth. She acknowledged, she said, I'm unclean. I touched you. I know I shouldn't even be here. Culturally, the Jewish people, she was a pariah to them. 
They don't want her anywhere near anyone. And here this woman, she tells Jesus the whole truth. But look what Jesus responded. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. Jesus, he doesn't scold her. Jesus doesn't give in to the cultural norms. He went outside of the cultural norms to share a message of love and hope for this woman. Jesus didn't respond as other people would respond. And I think this is a great lesson for each one of us. Too many Christians, they want to put culture above Christ. They want to adapt to culture instead of adapting to God's word. Listen, Jesus didn't call us to go out into this world and be like the people who don't know him. He called us out to be like him. And too many Christians are focusing their efforts on adapting to a culture instead of adapting to the word of God. Jesus, he went outside of these norms. Jesus didn't say a word about this woman for touching him, for being unclean. Why? Because his heart wasn't focused on that. His heart was focused on a message of love and hope for this woman. His heart broke for her. Does your heart break for the lost? Let's look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So maybe you forgot about Jairus, right? Maybe you forgot about him as we've been talking about this woman with this flow of blood. But Jairus is still in the story. He's still waiting for Jesus. And as he's walking back to his house, people come out and they say, Hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. What a message to be told. And these people, they came to him and they say, don't bother Jesus, it's too late. And we see this happening today, the same thing, don't we? In just a little different context. Many people will ask today, why are you still praying to Jesus? Why are you still coming before him? He's not answering you. He doesn't hear you. Is Jesus really working for you? Is Jesus really love you? Don't, don't even pray to him anymore. You don't need, you don't need to come to Jesus. Don't, don't waste your time, don't waste your energy or your resources. Same thing is happening today that happened in this story. And and I'm sure Jairus, he was overwhelmed emotionally upon hearing this. After all, he probably thought that Jesus was going to get there sooner. I'm sure maybe he even had some anger in his heart. Maybe he thought if Jesus would have gotten here sooner, my daughter wouldn't have died. Maybe he was angry at this woman who had the flow of blood. Maybe he thought that if Jesus hadn't stopped and interacted with her, his daughter wouldn't have died. It doesn't tell us in the text just what he was feeling, but I could imagine he was very sorrowful, maybe angry. And maybe this describes the same feelings and emotions you have today towards God. You've been praying about something for a long time. You keep bringing it before God, but you're not seeing an answer. You're not seeing a result. And maybe you're discouraged in your heart today. And maybe you have a little anger in your heart toward God. I thought you loved me, God. I thought you heard my prayers. I thought you cared for me. And the truth is, Jesus, he wasn't gone in this situation. He was still there. He was still going to Jairus' house. And Jesus, he's still here. He still hears your prayers. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't abandoned you. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. This idea of casting your cares, it, it's a persistent casting. It's, you keep taking your prayers to the Lord. In the same sense as a fisherman would take a net and cast it in the water and they'd pull it up. And if there was nothing in the net, they would cast it again and they would keep doing it until they caught it. And this is the same persistence that Peter says we need to take before God in prayer. Keep going to Him. Keep laying down your requests in your heart before God. Don't give up on prayer because God hears your prayers. Keep coming to Jesus. 
Let's look at verses 36 to 39. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So this is interesting. Again, we see Jesus say in verse 36 the same thing he told the disciples in last week's passages. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Trust me. And Jesus, he comes to this house and notice the atmosphere of this place. It was filled with weeping and wailing, a tumult. This was a hard atmosphere that Jesus walked into. But I want you to notice, Jesus, he came into a hard place. He came into a hard atmosphere and he filled it with his presence. And Jesus is doing the same thing today, right? It's easy to look at the world, especially in Myanmar, and to say, well, you know what? Is God really there with all these people suffering? Yeah, he is. Jesus is there. Just as he was in this atmosphere where people were wailing and weeping, an atmosphere where people felt let down by God. He was there. He was very present. Jesus, he went to the hard places. And notice, the people's disbelief, it didn't change Jesus' course of action. He still went. He enters difficult areas and fills it with his presence. And with this said, are we bringing Jesus in his word to difficult areas and difficult places? Are we bringing Jesus to the places that are filled with sorrow and pain and suffering? It's just a little tangent, but it's something to think about. Now, Jesus says in verse 39, this is rather wild, right? He says, why are you, why are you crying? She's, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. It's an interesting, interesting thing for Jesus to say, right? Let's see how the people respond in verse 40. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. What Jesus said was met with ridicule. And the same thing is happening today because people will always come against the words and the work of Jesus. Always. And as Jesus was doing the will of the Father, as He was seeking to do what He was called to do, He was met with ridicule. And I'm sure we've all encountered this. Maybe you've been ridiculed by your own family for doing what Christ has sent you to do. Maybe you've been ridiculed by non-believers or your neighbors. But even though Jesus, He was ridiculed, He continued to walk out the Father's will. He wasn't swayed by it. He wasn't discouraged by it. It's easy to get discouraged when you're ridiculed. It's very easy. Jesus, He continued. He continued to do the work. And I believe this is for someone in here today. Don't be discouraged by the ridicule of others. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep doing what Christ has placed on your life to do. It doesn't matter what others think. See, people ridiculed Jesus, but He still did what He was called to do. So look at verses 41 through 43. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kamai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. So Jesus, he goes into this girl, he heals her supernaturally, and this girl's parents were overcome and overwhelmed with joy. And this is an amazing story. And once again, it shows the power of Jesus and what Jesus is able to do. But I want you to notice, Jairus and his wife, they were filled with joy after coming to Jesus. If they had never went to Jesus, they would never have been overwhelmed by this joy. Instead, they would have been overwhelmed by sorrow and grief. But when Jesus entered in to Jairus and his wife and his family's life, 
that fear, that sorrow, that hurt, it changed into joy. Overwhelming joy. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Now Jesus, he, he says something interesting in verse 43, and I always have to pause when I read things like this in the Gospels. It said, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And every time I read this in the Gospels, I ask, why did Jesus say that? Why wouldn't he want people to know what he did? So people come to him. And I believe the answer is that Jesus, he wants true faith from people. And many times, signs and wonders, it produces a fake faith, doesn't it? Many people, they wanted to go to Jesus because they wanted something from him. But they didn't want to follow him on a daily basis. They just wanted these miracles to be done. And a signs and wonders faith is not a true faith. True faith follows Jesus no matter what the outcome is. True faith says, Jesus, I'll follow you if you answer my prayer the way I want it, or if it's not your will, I'm still going to follow you. That's true faith. True faith takes Jesus at his word and trusts him no matter what and follows after him. But many people today, they, they treat Jesus like a spare tire. For all of you who drive cars, I'm sure when you get into your car, you never think about that spare tire until you need it. Right? You, you get in, you drive miles and hours in your car, you never think about a spare tire. Why would you? And then your tire blows. Oh, I need that spare Right? And you use that spare, and that spare helps you. Then you get a new tire, the spare goes back, and you don't think about it again. And maybe that's how you treat Jesus. You come to Him when you have a hardship in your life. When you need this amazing wonder done, you come to Jesus. But when life is going good and everything is going the way you want it, you just ignore Jesus. He goes on the back burner. You're not reading His Word. You're not praising Him. You're not praying. True faith follows Jesus no matter what. Each and every day. It's a relationship. True faith is a relationship with Jesus. It's not a faith that says, I just want to see signs and wonders. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And this is what Jesus wanted. He wanted relationship and true faith, true belief and true trust. Well, if you turn on over to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at two more stories quickly. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew account gives us exactly what happened directly after this little girl was healed. And in Matthew chapter 9, we'll start in verse 27 and we'll read through verse 31. It said, When Jesus departed from there, when he departed from Jairus' house, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. So our third story, Jesus leaves Jairus' home. The little girl was healed. Praise the Lord. She was resurrected. And right as Jesus leaves, he's met by more people who need him again. Ministry just keeps on going, doesn't it? Jesus, he didn't have some time to just chill out after healing this little girl. More people came to him. But Jesus, he was always ready, always prepared. And two blind men, they followed Jesus and they wanted healing. Now, I want you to notice these blind men, they knew Jesus was there. They were following the example of the other people. Other people were going to Jesus. They were following that example. In the same sense, we set examples for others to follow, whether those examples are good or bad. People look at your life and they look at how you live. And they're following your example. So that can be a great thing if we're living like Jesus, but it can be a scary thing if we're not. What kind of an example are you setting? Are you coming to Jesus? Because when you come to Jesus, it will encourage others to come to Him as well. And this is what we're seeing in this story. And Jesus, He asked these blind men this question. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe me? 
Do you have faith? Do you trust me? Jesus is asking us again the same question. And the blind man's response was, yes, Lord. And Jesus, he commands their faith and he heals them. But again, we see in verse 30, Jesus says, see that no one knows it. Again, Jesus is after true relationship and true faith, not a signs and wonders faith. And he tells them, don't, don't tell people what happened. But they go out and they tell, they tell it anyway. And I kind of like this, right? Because these blind men, they just had no choice in their heart. They were like, I have to go share what Jesus did for me. It really wasn't an option for them. Even though Jesus said, hey, don't, don't tell people about this. They just, they had to. They had to. And I wonder if we kind of lost this joy of our salvation. It's amazing when you look at a new believer, just the passion they have to share Jesus. New believer fever, right? They go out, they're so excited to share Jesus. They want to tell everyone about Him. And they lose that joy. Right? The more we mature as Christians, we lose that joy. And ministry becomes a chore to us. And oh, someone else is calling me. Or oh, they want to meet. Oh, I'm tired. I don't have time for this. No, these, these men, they had no choice. They wanted to go out. They were so overjoyed by what Jesus had done for them. And I was convicted when I read that. And God put on my heart, do you have that joy to go share about me to this world? And if we don't have that joy, it's okay. There's no condemnation. But it starts with getting back in God's Word. It starts with falling in love with Jesus again and more each and every day. Let's look at our last three verses, 32 through 34. And we'll look at our last story. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. So again, Jesus, he leaves Jairus' house. He's met by two blind men. Okay, heals him, great. Oh, what happens next? Oh, they bring more people to Jesus. Again, it keeps going. And this was just a day for demon-possessed people, right? Because it's the third account we see of demon-possessed people being brought to Jesus. And please note, this is not the same man who Jesus just healed in the synagogue earlier, who was mute and blind. This is a different, a different man who was demon-possessed and mute. But I want to notice, I want to draw your attention to verse 32. It said, as they, the blind men, went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed again. The two blind men, they set an example by coming to Jesus that other people were following now. They said, these people went to Jesus, I should go to Jesus too. When you come to Jesus, you're going to encourage others to come to Him as well. You're an example. And people are looking at the way you live your life. So Jesus, He once again demonstrates His power over the demonic. And the demon, once again, as we've studied before, had no choice. It had to submit to Jesus. Because the powers of darkness are no match for the power of Jesus. They're not on an equal playing field. The demon had to submit to Jesus. And the people were amazed at what Jesus was doing. But verse 34, the religious leaders, they come back again. And they say, well, he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus already had this discussion with them. <laughs> he just had this discussion with them. He said, listen, Satan can't cast out Satan. But their hearts were so hard that the words of Jesus just fell on deaf ears for them. And here they come again, ridiculing Jesus. Speaking discouraging things. Again, I shared this when we went over the, the first time Jesus cast out this, this demon. I would be very discouraged if someone came up to me and said, you're doing the work of God by the power of the devil. <laughs> I'd be very discouraged. If someone said, oh yeah, you do that by Satan's power. That'd be a very discouraging thing to be heard. 
But notice, despite the discouraging things and the ridicule that Jesus met, it didn't stop Jesus from meeting these people where they were at. It didn't stop Jesus from doing what God called him to do. And once again, it shows us again that God's faithfulness is not dependent on ours. 2 Timothy 2.13, that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Nothing kept Jesus from going to these people. What is keeping you from going to Jesus? Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's fear. What is it that has been driving a wedge between you and your walk with Christ? And maybe you've gotten a little comfortable with that. Maybe you're a little comfortable living distant from Jesus. But we would do well to turn away from these things and understand that if we were to give Jesus to this world, we need to be at the feet of Jesus each day. We need to be in His presence. So I'll wrap up with this and then we'll, we'll share in communion together. We looked at four stories today. We looked at the story of Jairus, a religious ruler Right, who had a great reputation. And yet he came to the end of himself and he came to Jesus and he just fell down at Jesus' feet in full surrender to him and said, I need you. The second story was this woman with the flow of blood who also came to the end of herself, who came to Jesus and said, I need you. We looked at the story of the blind men who were at the end of their self and they came to Jesus and they said, we need you. And then the the mute demon-possessed man, obviously he didn't say anything because he was mute and demon-possessed, but people brought him to Jesus because they knew that he needed Jesus. Each one of these people in these stories, they came to Jesus, and we see people bringing others to Jesus. And these are both examples here for us to follow. First and foremost, for us to come to Jesus each and every day in prayer, in his word, drawing closer to him in our relationship with him. Secondly, bringing others to Jesus. We saw these people, they brought a demon-possessed man to Jesus. Who are we bringing to Jesus? Who are we bringing to Jesus? Because there's not going to be an excuse when we stand before Christ in heaven. We're not going to be coming up with all these excuses for why we didn't do what God called us to do. Who are we bringing to Jesus? We can't give what we don't have. We can't bring people to Jesus if we're not there ourselves. So are you going to Jesus daily? And again, maybe sin, pride, worry, grief, maybe these things are coming in between your walk with Christ. And I encourage you, especially as we take communion, Repent of it. Turn away from it. Come back to your love for Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus again. Seek to know Him more. And last thing, and I'll close with this. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're at the end of yourself spiritually. Right? We we saw these four stories and these four examples. These people, there was nowhere else for them to go because they knew they couldn't find what they needed in anyone else or in anything else. And I promise you this. If you don't know Jesus and you're looking for peace and hope, you're never going to find it in the things of this world. I tried. I couldn't do it. Never found it. I always came up empty and searching for more. The only time I ever felt peace is the peace that I have now and it's the peace that Jesus has given me. And so maybe you're sick with this condition of sin and you're seeking help from so many things that can't save you. I have great news for you. Jesus can save you and he wants to fill that emptiness in your heart. And all you need to do is put your faith and trust in him. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, we just thank you, Lord, so much that you love us, God, and that nothing kept you from coming to us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything in our lives that have been keeping us from coming to you, that we would lay these things aside, that we would truly surrender to you, Jesus. Lord, give us a a faith that says, Jesus, you're all that I need. 
and says, Jesus, I can do nothing without you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I pray that you just give us a burden, Lord, to not just come to you each day, but to bring others to you, Lord, that we would go out and share what you've done for us. Lord, that as this woman in the story, she came to Jesus because she heard about him, Lord, that we would go out to the city and tell the people who don't know you about what Jesus has done for them, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.